Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through to 14. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 14. Let's hear the word of God. And for those online, the words will come up on the screen. But would encourage you to follow the reading in your own copy of the Scriptures. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope, through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It reads as follows, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I've entitled today's message, How do Christians experience true holiness, happiness, and hope? You see, on Tuesday past, while I was in Cumber, 
after visiting the, the pain specialist for the pain in my neck, we'll call him the neck man, I was talking to another man in a wee charity shop a few doors down. And this man was telling me about young people who are lost and without hope. He said many are in despair. He said many are contemplating suicide at this particular time. And I immediately replied, yes, they're without hope in a state of hopelessness because they don't know the God of hope. Now, as I looked around the shop, my eye caught a poster on the wall. And the very words of Romans 15 verse 13 was on the text as if to say, remember me, the God of hope. So I pointed the man to the text and I I said to him, here's the answer for hopelessness. Listen to these words. Share these words with every mother that comes through the door. Point the words out to every young people and encourage them to know the reality of this experience. You see, Romans 15 verse 13 is a wonderful prayer. And it was a prayer that the Apostle Paul wanted every born-again believer to experience. Now, as you've heard the text, as you've read the verse with me, let me ask this question, very personal, very challenging. Is your life filled with all joy and peace in believing that you abound in hope? You see, I believe that the sad reality is this. If we're truthful, that the vast majority of true born-again believers, to a varying degree, fall short of experiencing the fullness of this reality in our day and generation. See, many sadly don't know what the verse means. Many do not know how to grow in the grace of joy or grow in the grace of peace. Many do not know how to abound in hope. And yet, we all need and want to abound more and more in true joy, peace, and hope. In our day, one of the common factors amongst those who are depressed is that they lack true hope. Are there not many discouraged today? Many who are dispirited? Is there not many even among the young people, say 18 to 24-year-olds, and they're fed up with their life? Now, they lack hope for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're full of guilt because of some particular sin or past sin. Maybe they have a series of unfulfilled goals and expectations, and to them, life is boring. Maybe they've even tried substance abuse, whether it's drugs or drink, and they're still empty inside. They might even have tried some of those extreme adrenaline sports that would make the hair curl in the back of your neck, and it hasn't fully satisfied them. They've got a rush, but it's gone. They might even have tried marriage, and have tried that, and it didn't work out. They might have tried convincing themselves that they must be successful in their field of education or field of sport. Or or they maybe even have tried convincing themselves, you know what, I I was born a homosexual. Or or I was born the wrong gender. Therefore, I must be a homosexual. I must change uh, my gender. And nothing is working out. Nothing is real. They're they're still dispirited, still uh, disquieted within them. Why? 
because they're not found in a saving, fulfilling relationship with the God of hope. They, they know nothing of the experience of being filled with all joy and peace in believing that they may abound in hope. How is it possible to know all joy and peace and believing and abound in hope? There's only one answer. And I want to emphasize that this morning, and it's here in the text. Look at the last part of the text. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now let that realization fill your mind. I want you to understand something that all of God's saving operations of grace and every gift that God bestows upon us is wrought within us by the power of the Spirit. This joy and peace in believing in Christ, this joy and peace in believing the God of hope, Believing God, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, experiencing joy and peace, abounding in true hope, only comes through the power of the Holy Ghost. This to me is a wonderful prayer. This to me is a comprehensive statement on how every born-again Christian can experience true happiness Holiness and hope in this life. And I came away on Tuesday evening, even though I was suffering pain from the hands of the physio guy, I was thinking of Romans 15, 13. I hadn't intended to preach this. I intended to preach tonight's sermon this morning. But I felt so strongly, even after coming home from the prayer meeting, that this was the text for this morning. There were three things as I thought about the text on the way home. One, the subject that is introduced. Now, when you think of the Apostle Paul, he's not only a preacher of the Word of God, he's not only penning a letter to the believers at Rome, but he's praying for these believers. And what's he praying for? Now look at the text. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's what he's asking for. And what's his reason for asking for that? That they may abound in hope. Not only have hope, but abound in it. Have an overflowing supply of this hope. How? And here's the answer. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, the subject that's introduced is abounding in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has a fantastic sermon, maybe two or three on this subject, and he just entitled it The Power of the Holy Ghost. So have a number of other men. But you remember, as I've said in the introduction, that all of God's saving operations of grace Every gift that God bestows upon us are wrought in us by the power of the Holy Ghost. Dr. Alan Kearns, the late Dr. Alan Kearns, suggested that the early church, the first century church, needed to experience and manifest the power of the Holy Ghost in two ways. They needed the power of the Holy Ghost within their lives for edification, that is to build them up, and they also needed the power of the Holy Ghost to flow through them, 
That's an evangelization so that others will be brought to a saving knowledge of Christ and led into a life of power and victory. And he emphasized that there's a clear connection between these two. You see, the power to evangelize, very important, depends on the power of edification to a life of power and victory. And it's only as we know the power of the Holy Ghost within us, enabling us to experience this joy and peace and believing and abounding hope. So as we abound in the fullness of a life of power and victory, that the Holy Ghost within us uses us to evangelize the lost in the context of family, neighbors, and all around us. Then that's true for the individual Christian. So I asked this morning, where are you now in your Christian life? Are you experiencing all joy and peace and hope right now? Is the gift of the Holy Ghost real to you? Do you know anything of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 and 2, the first three are love, joy, and peace. Do you know that you're being led by the Spirit? You see, I suspect this morning that for many, even professing Christians, these are just words, meaningless terms, trite phrases that we speak out of the side of our mouth. But the reality is we know nothing or little of the power within us at work. And because we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost within us to to edify us and build us up, therefore we know very little of the Holy Spirit's power to witness to all around us. You see, the, 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 the truth is, if we're being truly born of the Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit and have got the gift of the Spirit, then we will also know the power of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost will make it all real to us. And the Christian life that we live will be a real life. And we'll have an aspiration to live a holy life. An aspiration to happiness. An aspiration to hopefulness. For we'll realize that holiness, happiness and hopefulness is all rooted in the Christian life in Christ. But the fundamental question is this, is it real? Or is it devoid of reality? Are we going through the motions? Mere words we trot out. But, but the heart is not in it. The question of questions that come to me was this. Do I know? Do I experience the power of the Holy Ghost? Filling me with all joy. Filling me with all peace in believing. That I may abound in hope. I press at home this morning. Are you truly born again? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know for sure that you're a true born-again believer? That your sins are forgiven? That you've got peace with God? That that in the road to heaven at home, you've got a testimony, you're a child of God? Not mere presumption. That's what the Roman Catholic teaches. You're only presuming if you say that. Not mere wishful thinking, but to know for sure You've got the abundance of a personal experience. You know the power of the Holy Ghost at work in you. You see, it's true for the individual, but it's also true for the congregational church. 
Late Dr. Kearns always pressed home the reality. Where's the presence and power of God in the congregations today? Where's the unique manifestation of the presence and power of God? Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple? The glory of God filled the house, so much so that the priest could not stand to minister in the Lord's name. The unique reality of God's presence. See, God is always omnipresent. But the conscious reality of that is not always felt. One of his lovely titles, and there's three titles in this chapter, but one of his lovely titles is this, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And, and surely we can think of times in the life and witness of God in Old Testament times, the tabernacle and the temple. And you think of this. Think of times when the sacrifices were being carried out, blood was being shed. There was the singing and chanting of the Psalms. Supplication was being offered in the Lord's name. The priests were serving, so were the Levites. People are offering their goods and offering their money. Yet, those people had little or no power to witness to the outside world. Why? Because there was a lack of the mighty power of God within their lives. The people of God in those days were not fully in love with the Lord. And not fully satisfied with all that God is. And because of that, they ended up embracing heresy. Went into idolatry. Worldliness, coldness, selfishness. It resulted in infighting and backbiting. I think of a modern day parlance. Revelation 3 and 14. And to the church of the Laodiceans right. Dr. Douglas used to emphasize it was the church of the Laodiceans, of the Laodiceans, as, as if it belonged to them and not belonged to the Lord. It's not the church of the Lord. It's the church of the Laodiceans. Where was Christ, the head of the church? He's on the outside. He's knocking to get admission. Why? Because the glory has departed. The power is gone. It's, it's being withheld. The power of God is not flowing or operating through it. Why? Because the power of God was not operating in the lives of those who were part and parcel of the body of Christ at that time. You see, to reach the ungodly. When you think of all the ungodly around us here in Carryduff FPC, there has to be the power of God at work within us individually in our Christian testimony, but also congregationally. The life of Christ being lived out in his church, that's a necessity. That's a reality. And that's the subject here. How can we abound in hope? How can we abound in holiness and happiness? It's only through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the subject that's introduced. Notice, secondly here, the specifics that's mentioned. If you look again at the text, it says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How can a Christian be holy? How can a Christian be happy? How can a Christian be hopeful? And there's one simple answer, and I've emphasized it, by the power of the Holy Ghost. An individual can't be truly happy without being truly holy. And if he's truly holy, he'll be truly hopeful. 
the three go together. You see, we, we live in a, a world that's almost like a rat race. We, we live in a, a present day, the 21st century, and it's full of wokeism. It, it's full of progressive liberalism. You, you think of the drugs and drink culture. You, you think of the immoral lifestyle. You, you think of the party scene. You, you think of all the involvement, even in the Lord's Day, and in extreme sports. And you see, you'll discover, even though people are engaging in this activity and living this way, they're living in great misery. They're living in despair. Many have given up in life. Why? Because they're not truly happy. They, they, they lack personal holiness. They, they know nothing of the God of hope. You see, it's impossible to be happy, impossible to be holy, impossible to be hopeful, if it's not wrought within us through the power of the Holy Ghost. How many professing Christians today have lost their joy and lost their peace and lost their hope? And they're struggling in the Christian life. They lose out in prayer, Bible study, a life of holiness, a life of separation unto the Lord, a life of communion with God, a life of service, a life that's being robbed of joy and peace with God. You see, and they're not happy because the reality is they can't be happy without being truly holy. And they can't be holy unless it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice these words, the God of peace fill you with all joy. God is the true giver and source of hope. Many titles describe God. Here's a picture of who God is. One picture. The God of hope. And this hope that's referred to is hope that's sure and certain. It's not a maybe, it's not a nif, it's not a doubt. It's something that's concrete, something that's guaranteed. The, the word hope in verse 13 links back to the verse 12, where he said, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. And that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Him refers to the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of salvation to all who come and trust in him. And this means if you have not come to Jesus Christ as a guilty sinner and put your trust in him for salvation, then you have no hope. Then you're without God in this world. Then you do not know this God of hope. You have no saving knowledge of the God of hope. And here's a bleak description of many on their life's journey. This is what this shopkeeper was referring to, young people in a state of hopelessness because they know nothing of the God of hope. Notice also in the specifics that's mentioned, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Could that be true? Is it possible to live a life of all joy and peace in believing? Well, the answer is yes. Remember the words of the scriptures, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Could you rejoice in the Lord when you're sound in body? Yes, but you could rejoice in the Lord when you're sick in your body. You could rejoice in the Lord when you have plenty and food in your belly and clothes in your back and, 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 and means to provide for yourself and your family. But you could rejoice in the Lord when you're poor and you're eating your last bowl of porridge and, and you're wondering where the next meal is going to come from. You can rejoice in the Lord in good days and in bad days. 
You can rejoice even in the times when you're in the mountaintop enjoying the sunshine and blessing of God and top of the world. You can also rejoice in the Lord when the world's on top of you and you're struggling and you're thinking, I'm going to be crushed here under the weight of all that I'm suffering. Remember the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, a beautiful verse of scripture. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Over in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, what will you have? You'll have tribulation. You're going to have trouble, trials, persecution, opposition. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And now notice the words here, fill you with all joy and peace. It's not a few drops. It's not even a mouthful. It's not even a half cup full. It's not even a full cup. It's a cup that's overflowing. You've got to think of the word fill here. Filled to overflowing. God's will is to fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now that's not natural to us. That's the gift of God. That's what we can experience as we journey through life. I want you to notice also in the specifics here, it's joy and peace in believing. Note the words, in believing, underline them. That's important because that refers to, to faith in Christ. Where does this inward joy come from? That you can rejoice when the world's on top of you or you're on top of the world. Where does this real peace come from? This peace that even despite dreadful circumstances, this peace is sustaining you. Perfect peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. See, it's not found in us. It's not natural to us. It's not even found in the pastor or the church. It's only produced in us by the Holy Ghost. And it's based on the fact of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These gifts are ours by faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore the more we understand the gospel. The more we believe in Christ and rest in him the more we enter into that glorious revelation of God in Christ, the more we begin to experience the fullness of all joy and the fullness of all peace. Remember what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. More about Jesus would I learn. He's your prophet to teach and tell you the way of salvation. He's your priest who makes intercession for you, offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin on your behalf. He's your king and you're his subject and you must bow the knee to him. You're dependent and he's your shepherd to guide you. He's your redeemer to redeem you with his precious blood. He's the commander in chief of the army and you're a soldier to follow him. He's your best friend. And the more we know of him and the outworking of this, the more we begin to experience this joy and peace in believing. 
Notice also, as I've emphasized before, and I'll be quick, believing comes by the power of the Holy Ghost. How do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit awakens you, convinces you of your sinnership. And the Holy Spirit in regeneration gifts and bestows and implants the gift of faith. You see, in the new birth, in regeneration, it's the Holy Spirit that creates the faith in you. It's not natural to you. The Holy Spirit enables you to lay hold in Christ. Isn't this what Paul emphasized in the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Listen to these words. For by grace are you saved. Hi. Through faith. Where did the faith come from? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. You see, we're not believing by act or or force of our own will. We're, We're not believing by the power of our own persuasive mind. It's not... Um, the product of our sinful self. It's not us forcing ourselves in make-believe and the stuff of myths and legends. No, it's the work of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, of course, uses the Word of God in the Gospel. One of the things that always struck me when I was reading through the book of Revelation was this. The text, hear what the Spirit says unto the Scriptures. Listening to what the Spirit says. Now, what the Spirit says, the Scripture says. And what the Scripture says, the Spirit says. Seven times in the book of Revelation, he that have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, God is speaking. Not only God has spoken, but God is speaking. And I want to tell you this morning, very humbly, I don't believe a Christian is going on with God and following hard after Christ unless they're reading the Bible, maybe 20 or 30 minutes in the day, studying that portion, meditating upon it, and applying God's word and praying, let thy word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I believe it was Bob Jones the first, it might have been Bob Jones the second from Bob Jones University that used to say that sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. You see, when you come to the word of God, when you read the Bible, Remember, it's God's instruction manual for life on earth, and you're hearing the voice of God. And you've got the mindset like Samuel, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. And the Bible exhorts us there in the book of Ephesians something that's very important in the Christian life, and it's this, and be not drunk with wine, where is his excess? but be filled with the Spirit. You think of a drunk man under the control of the influence of alcohol and how it makes a fool of him, how it controls him. And and Paul says, don't live your life like that, but be filled, be under the control and power of the Spirit. And you see, if you're under the control and power of the Spirit, you'll be listening to what the Scripture says. Remember Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. You get a man saying, the Holy Spirit is leading me to say this. 
the Holy Spirit is within me and, and hear the word of the Lord, but it's contrary to what the Bible says, then the Holy Spirit is not speaking in and through that man. Because one who's led of the Spirit, he will take God's revelation to heart. And his prayer will be, Lord, direct me. Lord, instruct me. Lord, help me. Lord, comfort me. Lord, guide me. Notice also in this specific here that you may abound in hope. Here's another specific that's mentioned. The hope is sure and steadfast, a concrete reality. It's a real hope. You see, when you know God by his word and you discover, well, he's the God of hope, then you can trust him. He's completely trustworthy. He has come and said to all of the young people, I am come that you might have life, you might have it more abundantly. He says that to the drug addict. He says that to the drunkard. He says that to the immoral person. He says it to the homosexual as well. He says it to, to all who are without Christ. A life full of joy and peace. A life of real, true hope. You and I can live in the fullness of that reality. You see, it's not God's will that your Christian life is dry and empty. It's not God's will that your Christian life is boring. It's not God's will for you to live a life of defeat and despair. He wants you to live a life of power and victory. That was one of the great themes of the late Wesley Irvine. We loved Wesley in the prayer meeting, always emphasizing it's a life of power and a life of victory. Oh, at times it's hard. At times it's tough. Do you think it's tough being a Christian in Northern Ireland? Witnessing for Christ in the school, the university, in the workplace? Witnessing for Christ in the open air? What about living in a communist country? What about living in Muslim-dominated parts of Africa? When your life would be under threat for opening your mouth to name the name of Christ. When you could be arrested for carrying a Bible down the street. When you're living, in a sense, with, with very little money and you're not found in a fancy building like we are, and yet you're living in all the will of God for you because you know the God of hope. And despite the circumstances filling you with all joy and peace in believing, and you're living an abundant Christian life because you've experienced the fullness of Jesus Christ in the gospel not only the subject that's introduced and the specifics that's mentioned but notice lastly the source that's emphasized I come back to this here through the power of the Holy Ghost now if you examine the context here you'll discover that all three members of the Trinity are mentioned and we are a trinitarian church we believe god is one who subsists in three persons father son and holy spirit and you see you've got mention here of god the father he's god the hope he's also called in this chapter by the way the god of patience if you read it carefully he's also called the god of peace later on in the chapter and you've got a reference here in the context to God the Son, Jesus Christ, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Remember, Jesus Christ is the object of our trust and hope for salvation. 
And of course, God the Holy Spirit is the source to bring us these gifts, these graces of joy and peace and hope. The power of the Holy Ghost teaches us this, that all power belongs unto God. Power is the absolute prerogative of God. God speaketh, yea, once, twice, man perceiveth it not, and yet all power, Psalm 62, 11, belongs unto God. The power of the Holy Ghost is, of course, nothing less than the power of God that created the universe. You think of God's creative work. He spake, and it was done. Listen to Psalm 33, and in the verse 9, for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. I want you to grasp that. Think of the words of Job in Job um, chapter uh, 26 uh, and in the verse uh, 13. Uh, listen to what uh, Job discovered. Listen to what Job emphasized. It says in Job chapter 26 and verse 13, these particular words, by his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. See, remember, Lucifer was made by God and is a creature who is subject to God, even though he's now the fallen serpent. And over there in Psalm 104, the psalmist made this tremendous statement. At Psalm 104 and in the verse 29, listen to these words. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God that has given life. What about the power of the Holy Ghost in the formation of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin? Luke 1 verse 35. The power of the Holy Ghost involved in incarnation. The power of the Holy Ghost when Jesus offered himself uh, to God a once and for all sacrifice for sin. How? Through the eternal spirit. The power of the Holy Ghost that resurrected the Lord Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit was involved. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that gives new life to dead sinners. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our mind to understand the truth of the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that produces holiness in us as we live in obedience to him and his commandments. It's the Holy Spirit who confirms our adoption, gives the assurance we're the children of God. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to pray. It's the Holy Spirit who strengthens us with power in the inner man as we live even in the face of hardship and difficulty. It's the Spirit of God that's the seal of every true believer that guarantees our resurrection and, and, and guarantees our home called to glory. It's the Holy Spirit who produces all joy and peace and hope and believing. And you know what we need as I finish? Our time is gone I'll just give you this outline. It's not mine, it's the late Dr. Kearns. But he emphasized five or six particular areas. We need his enlightening ministry. We need to pray, Lord, give light. Ephesians 1 and 17. Lord, open the book. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's what I encourage you. 20 or 30 minutes each day. Reading the Bible, in God's presence, reading and meditating and applying God's word, offering prayer, singing and sharing what God has done. 
Wasn't it in the Westminster Assembly a man by the name of George Gillespie, a 26-year-old, refuted a great legal scholar in that assembly in matters of church and state. He had two words as he got up to his feet to speak, and it was a prayer, give light. We need the Holy Spirit to give light in our day, an enlightening ministry. We need the Holy Spirit's enlivening ministry because it's the Spirit that quickeneth. We should pray, quicken me. And if you're dry and you feel bored and you want to quit, then you should pray, Lord, quicken me. That's what the psalmist did. What about his encouraging ministry? Maybe you're going through a deep, dark trial right now and you're in the deep, dark waters of adversity. And no matter what sorrow you're going through, I, I can only get through to your eardrums. I can't touch the sorrows of your heart. Satan tells you there's no hope. Satan tells you that God doesn't exist. But hope does exist because God exists. And God is the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. What about his enabling ministry? Enabling me, giving me strength to carry on. Not by willpower, not by sheer guts, not by force of flesh, but by the power of the Spirit. What about his enlarging ministry? Who can add to the church? It's the Spirit's work. We can pray, we can sow the seed, we can do this and that by way of evangelism, but the Holy Spirit must work. There's an evangelistic ministry. And it all comes through the power of the Spirit. Here's the source that's emphasized. If this is what we need, then why don't we take this upon our heart and pray, Lord, through the power of thy Spirit, send thy light. Lord, give life. Lord, encourage us. Lord, strengthen us. Lord, help us. Lord, come and work amongst us to see souls repentant and brought to faith in Christ. It's only through the source that's emphasized the power of the Holy Ghost. May the Lord take this word and bless it to our understanding and help even at this particular time.